Welcome to Enlightenment of Change with Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Here's Connie. Welcome to Enlightenment of Change on webtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. You know my guests and I are excited that you're joining us this week. So here's the deal. As you listen to the show, you know, my guests and I get that change, whatever it is for you, whether you've chosen it, it's thrust upon you, change can be very difficult. So to help you navigate change again, wherever you are on your journey, in the show notes, I have a communication style assessment. I have found in my 40 years in sales that communication is kind of the key to most things in life, period. So in the show notes, you'll take a little assessment, you'll get two reports. First report will spotlight your highest score, which is kind of your natural communication superpowers. Want to know that? Want to lean into it? We always want to build off of our strengths. Flip side, your lowest score, typically a blind spot. You'll get a report for that one as well. I almost feel like that's the more valuable report because understanding how your message is listen is, is landing for someone who speaks or, or communicates 100% different than you, really important to know that. So sometimes we can lose a sale or lose that connection or that trust with that person, right? Whether it's an employee or, or a client um, pretty easily. So again, that links in the show notes, my gift to you. Now, I want to set the stage for my conversation today with my guest, and my motivational quote is by Publilis Cirrus. I probably butchered that person's name, but it's but that person says, you can accomplish by ki- kindness what you cannot by force. Now, through my, again, 40 years in sales and in business, I've learned that putting people first is not only kind but also profitable. Now, I've been able to create the environment people need so they can thrive with a great side effect of improving the bottom line, right? We're in business. We have to make money. We have to earn money or perform for our organizations that we might work for. So it's funny that throughout my sales career in the financial service industry, it's where I grew up, kindness would never be a word that I would use (laughs) to describe the leaders that I've worked for. Truly sad, but true. And another word um, that I use for kindness is respect. And, and I kind of use them back and forth. We'll see what my guests think of that. And most of you know, my motto for developing quality selling skills is to do so through love, care, and respect. Again, respect, kindness, kind of important. So who is my wonderful guest today to discuss this amazing topic? It's Christy Pretzinger. And Christy has always been has always been intentional about building her business based on a culture of kindness. That approach has proven to be good for people and the bottom line. Now, over time, Christy discovered her true calling to create a workplace that nurtures personnel and professional growth and helps other leaders do the same. Now, she's been featured on numerous podcasts and uh, she herself, Christy, is reinventing the way businesses evaluate effective leadership, how employees can contribute to success, and how everybody can win. Uh, it all starts by building a foundation of kindness. So please welcome my amazing kind guest, Christy, to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Connie. That's a lovely introduction. Thank you. Um, really excited to have you. And, you know, we briefly chatted before leadership is important. And like I said in my intro, my the leaders through my career, Christy, were, let's say, at best horrifying. You know, we're in a car after they would come to, you know, when you're new to a job in sales, right? People go out with you. They don't like just throw you to the wolves. 
And I remember coming back early on in my career and the sales manager yelling at me, you're an idiot. You're never going to make any money. You're a loser. Um, You're stupid. I mean, all the things we should not be doing. So when I tell you I've had bad experiences, so leadership has become one of uh, the things that I'm passionate about. So I'm really excited for our conversation today. Well, so am I. Yes. All right. First question. How did you get started with, and especially with the kindness as that undertone, because I love it. Well, um, I, I started as a freelance writer a long time ago, back in uh, 1993. So I am virtually unemployable. So I had to do something on my own because it's been so long since I've you know worked for somebody else. And then um, right around 2004, I started building my organization. I was a freelance writer. And then I started building the organization that we have today. Um, what happened is that a... Um, I've been around a long time and and there was an agency in town where I live that wanted me to bring a team of writers to a large project, something I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. And so I did, and it worked out well for the client and it worked out well for all of us. And then I thought, oh, I'll bring teams of writers to projects. It just kind of thought that'd be a great idea. Well, then fast forward, I don't know, six, nine months and another client from a a previous place had moved on to a hospital system and they had three hospital websites they were launching uh, concurrently, and she needed someone to work on them. And uh, so like within the space of about a week, I had 35 people working on all of these websites. I didn't know anything about hospitals at the time, but um, I learned very quickly, as did we all. And once that was complete, um, I thought, well, I'm going to bring teams of writers to hospitals. And then as anyone who has ever built a business or been an entrepreneur, I, I told myself the necessary lie that that would be easy. And if you think about, you know, how hard everything actually is, you you know, you just probably <laughs> would never do anything, right? So anyway, um, I'm sure we've all heard the, the the saying that you can't be a prophet in your own hometown because nobody in my hometown, none of the large hospital systems here would talk to me. So I went to surrounding areas and landed other people um, and, you know, got big projects with hospitals. One of them, uh, we started working with them, I think in 2006 or seven, it's the Ohio State University and they remain a client to this day. Nice. Um, so now we work with everybody in, in, in the city. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. We work with all of the hospitals in this city as well as um, most states across the country, uh, providing uh, content strategy and content creation, everything from just regular website content to physician bias, to animation, to video scripting, to, um, uh, you know, all sorts of infographics and things like that, any sort of communication, as you say. And um, our mission is building relationships one word at a time. And what we do is we talk about building those relationships with our vendors. We have a, a large group of contractors, upwards of 100, that work with us on a consistent basis. So we build relationships with them. We build them with each other, with our coworkers, and then we build them with our clients, and then we build help our clients build them with whoever they're you know, desired population is. It's fascinating. A couple of things. So the ripple effect, right? It starts with us, but who else are we exposed to or potentially influencing or affecting through Mm -hmm. that ripple effect, right? Through the vendor, whether it be one of your partners internally that you bring to the project. Um, There's so many moving parts. So it Mm -hmm. really at the core, if we're not communicating effectively, both verbally, body language, and then written like you, because you have to communicate, understand that doctor to be able to write an effective bio. So when we talk about communication, it's really multi-level. It's not just about this, 
what we're doing, right? Speaking, mm-hmm. seeing each other that we could see each other. It's, it's about co- converting the essence of the person into, right? The, the bio or the website, whatever they're trying to create in the marketplace. The other thing you said that fascinated me right out of the gate when, when you started talking that when you started, you couldn't do your own in, in your own hometown. Right. So you, people you knew you reached out to. They already knew you. They already liked you. They already trusted you. And they were like, yeah, I have a project. Why don't you come in? And that's how you kind of got the ball rolling. So those networks, that's another piece of the communication, isn't it? Because yeah. people that knew you, trusted you, had worked with you, however they knew of you, right? They knew the caliber of your abilities. That's how you got the business. So that trust. Well, that know, actually, not really. Um, the oh, first really? One I did because of the bringing teams of writers. And then the second one with that big hospital group. So those two did. But then when I went out, I was cold calling on people. I didn't know anybody in any hospital system anywhere. And I just cold called and did, you know, what you do when you're building a business. It's like you wear every hat, right? So <laughs> you put your sales hat on and you go out and you do things you may not like to do and you call on people. And, but, but once I could get over that, that the whole sales thing, right? Getting to know quickly, right? You want to just move on to the next one. Yeah. Once I got used to doing that, then I built the relationship. So I would always meet someone and then build a relationship. But as you know, being spending your career in sales, the really important part of sales, obviously, is relationship, but then you have to figure out, and this sounds like a bad word, but it's not, how to monetize that relationship. It's not just about building a relationship. Right. You, know, you don't want it to be transactional, but you also have to monetize it or else you're just making a bunch of friends, uh, which hopefully you make friends in the process as well. You know, Sometimes you don't. Yeah, but it's true. It, and the monetization comes through the deliverables. If you Correct. deliver what you're promising and what they're expe- and really exceeding what their expectation yeah. is, that's and that's how you get more referrals. And that's Absolutely. how you get more, like you said, the 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 college, uh, they're still with you today. Yeah. So that's how we earn those 10, 15, 20 year clients and beyond um, yeah. again, because of that, that relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's the monetization is really through that trust of yeah, I, you I think delivering. Something like 84% of our business is repeat business. Now that doesn't yeah. mean that the business development doesn't need to still, you know, sell Always. each time, but they already know, you know, what they're getting, uh, the relationship. And, and really, I'll tell you, when we survey our clients, the thing that they say to your point, the differentiator, because when I was building this, um, I created a new category. There was no company that offered simply at the time writing services for hospitals. Now there are some copycats, but we are definitely the longest and the most well-known in the industry. Mm. And when people talk about us, when we ask them, they always say, yeah, a lot of people can create content, but the difference is they enjoy working with us. You know, our values are we are empowered, curious, kind, and fun. And so we bring that to everything that we do. And we kindness is is a real big one. You know, I'm sure you know, you, know, you work with clients, right? And they, they have all sorts of issues going on that we don't know about. And so what we always say is we don't come in there and tell you you're doing everything wrong. We come in and try to understand the sandbox in which you're yeah. playing. And then we jump right in there with you and help you, you know, dig your way out of whatever situation you're facing. Right. That's right. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because some of the things they're doing are probably good and working. So let's mm-hmm. build, right? Build on the strength of what the organization already has infrastructurally, culturally, whatever it might be. Or they have someone that's forcing them to do something that really doesn't make that much sense, but they're required to do it. And you're like, okay, that's probably not the best way that we would do it, but someone, this is, they're making you do this. And so, yeah. all right, we're going to help you, help you accomplish that. Yeah. It's streamlining, right? Uh, it, it, again, it's all about what do they actually need? It's about the client, not about what we think coming in. Correct. It's about what we uncovered during. That's that's right. Correct. 
What was the most stressful point with all of this that you're describing? Was there like just a stressful point that you were like, holy crap, am I able to do this? (laughs) Oh, heck yeah. Um, When I first started out, you know, I I had like, I think two contractors and then they became employees and that was it. It was me and two people. And then as we started growing, um, I ended up going through a divorce and my husband at the time had been a stay-at-home dad. So I knew I was going to have to pay spousal support. And I was also very concerned about um, him being eligible for half of my business. So I was terrified. And the business was nowhere near the size it is now. Uh, So I was very worried about that. And I was, you know, still worried about payroll at that time. And then I agreed to a, a pretty significant amount of spousal support for four years. And then what happened? I mean, I'm telling you kind of, I always tell people, I, I was a French major in college, so I did not understand the language of business. And I had a CPA, which by the way, does not mean you know anything other than you can pass a test. And I was on a cash basis at the time. And for anybody who doesn't know, a cash basis versus accrual, I didn't know the difference actually. Cash is you collect a bunch of cash and then you just report that on your taxes and you pay taxes on it. And then it, it, when you work it off, because you don't own all of that, as, as you work it off and it appears on your balance sheet, then the taxes kind of fix themselves in arrears. Accrual is you only, re- you collect all this cash. You don't pay taxes on that. You wait until you recognize it and then you pay taxes. I didn't know that. I was on a cash basis. And at the time, still, we're a business that collects a lot of cash up front. It's a very cash rich business, which is very good, by the way. Cash is king for business owners. So we collect it and then we work it off. Well, at the time I collected it and it, I reported it on my tax return. So my income looked incredibly inflated. And oh. that was what my spousal support was based on. So oh. right after the divorce, all of a sudden I was working with a different uh, financial person with my CPA. And I said, Oh my gosh did I pay spousal support on a cash basis? Like, oh my gosh. And my accountant was like, well, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're fired. Like that, no, this is so bad. So I was really, really scared there. I thought, am I going to go back? I mean, I I signed something that said I would pay that spousal support whether the business succeeded or not. What that did is that meant he couldn't come back for more, but I also could not pay less. So I was, that was talk about anxiety. And um, it was really hard to run the business at that time. Thank God I had some good people that are still with me today um, because I was so anxious and so fearful and concerned that I probably wasn't thinking as clearly as I should, you know, of course, yeah, that was very scary. So that was both a business and a personal lesson, uh, you know, there, but it was, it was terribly stressful. But um, when I paid my last spousal support right after that, I took one month and probably a little bit more spousal support and through a giant party that was better than my wedding reception. <laughs> Hey, got to celebrate. You know, it's interesting. You said, you know, that that happened to be a personal slash business experience, unfortunately, at the same time. Right. But as business owners, our personal, our, you know, it really commingles a lot. All the time. Yeah, all the time. And and the other thing, too, um, you know, the stress of a business owner, you know, you talk to people and they think it's so glamorous. Right. And I and I often say you know, I don't get a paycheck if I don't work. I right. can't, it's snowing out. I was supposed to do something. If I don't show up, I don't get paid. Like mm-hmm. you could take off, you can work from, you could do whatever. Um, being a business owner, you, what, what does the clients need? So you, everybody thinks you have all this freedom, which you do to some extent, right? Cause we control our calendar, 
but the, the client comes first if we're really right. delivering or we're taking our business seriously. So it's just interesting that, wow, what a great story about working through that stress. How did you fund all of that when you realized the accrual versus cash and all of that? Did you need funding from externally to keep no, the, I've the been strapped on? always. I've never gotten money from anyone. And we've rarely accessed our line of credit either. Um, I, I came to realize, I mean, at that time when that happened, I was like, oh, my gosh. But we did always have a lot of cash. We we usually have, you know, five, six months cash on hand, plus access to a significant line of credit and things like that. So I never um, I never had to to do any of that. But, you know, one of the things I want to go back to what you were talking about, especially when you're building the business, as you said, if you don't show up, you don't get paid. But one of the things that um, I like to share with other people who, if you're building a business, is how to get to the point where I am fortunate enough to be where I work on the business, not in the business. And that's because I have an amazing team of people. Yeah. And um, I think one of the most kind of back to the personal professional, the whole way that I was able to do that was by really learning to put my own ego aside. I hear a lot of business owners say, well, I'm the best at that. And I was like, well, then you're going to have a job forever. So I put my ego aside and said, let's find somebody smarter than me, better mm -hmm. than me at something, teach them what I know, and then they can go out and make it better. And that has allowed me and allowed the business to grow um, as well as the people in the business. Because to your point, personal and professional, we actually give every employee um, personal development Monday money every year. And they can use it for, they could take an art class, they could do business related things. One person bought a bicycle. I mean, they can do whatever they want with it. Because I always look at it as if you enrich yourself and, and uh, personally, it you, you bring your whole self to work, right? And so yeah. it makes it better for everyone. So. It's exactly what, right? I said, your personal and business, the, right. you know, it's not like we get home, we take our professional head off and put our you know home head on with yeah. one person. So if somebody bought a bicycle with that money, but they're trying to get into better health, they're going to have less sick days. They're going to show up with more clarity and, and really firing on the cylinders because they're, right. they're honoring their body. We're, right. It's all connected, right? The whole yeah. mind, body, spirit, it's real and it, yeah. and it works. It, you know, everybody thinks oh, it's woo. It's not, it's business. And you know, actually, Actually, I always say one of, one of the most profound lessons I ever got from a coach that I was working with many years ago, this was probably 12 years ago. Um, and she said to me, your, your company is you and you are your company and it won't grow until you do. Mm. That was profound to me because then what I did after that is I started meditating every day. And this is right about when the business was, was, was right approaching or just going over a million in revenue. Nice. And um, I started meditating every day. I started reading books, but they weren't business books. I mean, we've all read those, but these were more, um, more personal development, uh, spirituality, all these kind of things to really help me be more self-aware. Yes. Which in turn makes you a better leader, right? I mean, like you said, you have to be, you have to be open to, to what your team needs. And that means putting your own ego aside and paying attention to what's happening around you. What, what do you think, um, you know, what have you personally had to work on the most in leading your business and leading those people as you started to build the team? Was there anything specific as you were doing the personal growth and the business growth? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Amen. what happened also about, um, it would have been about uh, 12, 13 years ago, I was introduced to something called the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I either. do. I love all that stuff. Uh, do you know what you are on the Enneagram? Isn't that funny? Um, 
I'm not, I think a three, but I'm not sure of that. I wouldn't be surprised if you're in sales, a three would, would, would track. That would make yeah, sense. Yeah. I think I'm a three. <laughs> yeah. I'm a seven. Um, and what the Enneagram is for your listeners, if they don't know, it's a, um, it's a personality profiling. There's a men, million of those out there. The difference between the Enneagram and all of the others that I have been exposed to, which is a lot, is that it's all about motivation as opposed to behavior. Mm. So for example, um, it, let's say that you're a three. When I was building my business, I looked much more like a three because I was very goal oriented. I was very driven. Um, I was very accomplishment focused, which is usually mm-hmm. what a three is. And a three usually, you know, it wants to look good. They want to win. You know, it's, it's, it's that. I looked like that, but the reason I was doing it is because my motivation, unlike a three with their motivation is to win and to look good. My motivation was everybody, everything has to be okay. And the only way it's all going to be okay is if I get this next project, if I make sure I keep getting it and then I can support my family, you know, so it was a different motivation, but the behavior is very similar. So um, through the Enneagram, what I learned, and I used to say when I was, I was really studying, I did a lot of intensive um, workshops and things on this. And I also, my whole organization uses it. Every single person is typed. Love it. We do workshops on it. Um, it, it, it. It's very much woven into the tapestry of our culture. Love it. So what I learned about myself as a seven is that I can be, there's a number of things that can drive people crazy, but one of them can be um, that I can be very um, directive if I feel like somebody's not getting my point and um, and it's very off-putting to people and it shuts them down. And that is not a way to lead and it's not a way to find out what other people know, right? right. So um, I actually had an employee, employee who, oh my gosh, she's brilliant. She's um, my EVP of, of um, business development and marketing. And um, she actually said to me, you know, sometimes you make me feel stupid. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like that is like the worst thing. And so I like, you know, listened to her and I said, of course, I never mean to do that. The utmost respect for your intellect and things you do that I could never do. But it was because I could get real directive that way. So I've had to learn to really watch that. Um, And in fact, I even I have an employee like I'm also a very fast processor and not everybody is. And that doesn't make you smarter. It just means you process more quickly. So I have um, a team member who is a much slower processor, a very smart person. Um, but I was like kind of talking too fast. And I realized I was really upsetting her. And I was like, I need to stop this because this is like, you need time to process yeah. this. I'm sorry that I'm like, I'm I'm trying to move too fast here. And um, recognizing that in the moment is um, really hugely important for me because the last thing I would ever do is be like that terrible boss that you had where I'm making someone feel diminished in any way. Um, when, oh gosh, when that employee said that to me, it was like a dagger to my heart because the most important thing to me is that the people, especially the ones that work directly with me, that they know that they matter to me. Like they as a human being matter to me, not just their work product, but everything about them. And so to think that I hurt somebody that way is like, it, it, it really like makes me choke up because I would never do that to someone. Well, it's interesting because, you know, all these tools are out there. Like I'm just certified. um, That's what the company used, you know, 40 years ago when I was certified in it. Um, They're, but they're good. They're great tools. What happens, unfortunately though, leaders go through training oftentimes and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know disc. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know predictive. And oh yeah, yeah. I know the Enneagrams. 
you did it and I did this too, right? For 40 years, I've been using DISC. So by, by doing that deep dive and peeling back our own onion, if you will, those layers of the onion, mm-hmm. you really start to see, cause like you, right? I fire fast. And when, you know, I used to work in a corporation and I had, you know, employees under me, they would say I was intimidating. And, and the first time someone said, I go, me? Like what? That, and then as you do more of a deep dive, because like I'm a three, I'm aggressive and, and an aggressive in a good way. I'm aggressive with myself. I don't want to be aggressive with anybody else, right? I want people right. to shine and, and I want to be the supporter out there for them. And yet we have a different effect by being unaware. So I, you know, and I know yeah. you probably see this too, or when I'm coaching within organizations, people say, well, it's just the way I am. And I said, oh. that's true, but you have a choice. You could mm-hmm. continue on the path you're on, zero growth. No one's going to pr- promote you, right? Because you're mm-hmm. not growing versus saying, oh, this is such great information. What's that next little step that I can implement or work on or develop? And then what's the next one and the next one? You, you got to be a lifelong learner and you have to constantly reframe and refine and and develop self. Otherwise, we're not growing our business. We're not growing our career, right? Whoever the listeners are, um, we become very stagnated. So all of these, right. isn't that funny though? And I give the person really props for saying to you, uh, oh, what? Yes. Like, what? That took a lot of guts for people mm-hmm. to call us out when we're misbehaving. And I'm using that word loosely. But when we go off the rails under stress, that's when right. these negative things amplify. Right. Um, I give her props or him props for, for her. And I, yeah, I, oh, I do too. And, um, you know, I, I, I really do try to welcome that, to, to encourage that yes. kind of feedback, which I know at the same time, even though I truly do love my employees, I, re- I mean, I genuinely do, we care about each other, but it, it, at the end of the day, I could still technically fire them. I trust me, there is no one on this team. Like, you know, people say who on your team would not be on your rocket ship. There isn't anybody on our team of 32 people that I would not have on my rocket ship, you know? So, um, so the fact that, that she was able to say that was, you know, I was really happy that she was able to say that because how can I get better as a leader? And then once again, I was stymieing her. Well, I I don't want to do that. She's brilliant. I want to, I want her to bring her brilliance to this. And if I'm shutting her down, well, that's counterproductive. I have to tell you, though, the organizations, when I work with the executives or the leaders, sometimes most of the organizations that hire me philosophically have the same values as as myself. So they are good leaders, they're good listeners, they care about their employees, truly. And they care about the bottom line, the shareholders and all of that. But the employees is what gets us there, right? Otherwise, we're one man ship. It it ain't going so far. So it's, um, it's just really interesting that many leaders out there um, the problem is them is the leader themselves because yes. yet they hire yes men because they want to just be told that they're right instead of really finding the best solution. So we waste so much time and money um, by, by looking at the ego and not working on it like you did. So I give you a lot of credit for that. And I give you credit for building that community, that internal community where people, they're not yes men and they go, whoa, like slow your roll. You're a little abrupt there. Tell me what you really want. And you know what too, is that they, um, they also know this about each other. So they know the other people's Enneagram type and they know enough about that Enneagram type to um, know how to have a conversation with those people or to recognize why someone is behaving the way they're behaving. Cause it's like, oh, okay. 
that person is, you know, a fearful person and this is why they're behaving that way. So I'm going to approach this in a gentle way without judgment because that will just make them spiral, you know? So I think that it, it really helps, you know, as we always say, the more personally aware you become, the better you are with interpersonal relationships, right? Yeah. It just, it, 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 it um, fosters empathy and it fosters yeah. vulnerability and openness and all of the things that somebody somewhere called soft skills, which we both know are the hard ones, right? Absolutely. The, the hard ones. Yeah, for sure. It was funny. I, I asked the executives to come through my training so that, you know, it's got to start at the top, the change, the culture, sure. whatever we're building within the organization. And I remember I don't work with this organization anymore, but one CEO came through the training and I was teaching coaching. And talking about we were using, they were using disc, but I was saying, you know, an SC doesn't matter if you understand that listeners, I do. but anyway, they're more fear driven. Um, mm-hmm. they like routines. So when you say you're changing something, they're not, they're not, not a team player. They're right. just, can I do it? Are you going to fire me? I, mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint. Right. And so when I was teaching that and he looked at me and he said, look, we're training them. We're telling them they need to do it. And I, oh. so I tried to explain. It was a high D. Oh my God, (laughs) off the charts. But he's also the CEO. So yeah, you work a little bit harder because you're making million, two million, three, whatever it is. You're asking these people who are making $30,000 to treat it like it's their business. Plus their S's who are afraid of discipline. Like what? And work with them anymore. (laughs) Because I thought that is not the right answer. I've trained you. Now go and do it. It takes time for people to change behaviors. It's not like I could go in or you could go in and flip, flip a light switch to have the people know exactly what we know. Um, so just yeah. very unfair. So ego leaders, like, I really hope you're listening to this. And if we can start with that kindness and compassion, I just think we make so much more money on the back end. Plus well, yeah. you have more innovation within the organization because you're allowing people to show up, like you said, with their zone of genius. Well, you can't have innovation without vulnerability. It's oh, impossible, right? Because you have to be willing to fail you know, and fail forward. But if you, if you are incapable of vulnerability or if you're in an organization that doesn't foster vulnerability, then you won't have innovation. And, you know, I always say when people, I, I, someone once was a business owner talking about um, having a difficult employee or something. I don't remember what it was. And she was asking me how I handled it. And I said, well, you know, it's really, it's so much easier to be abrupt. You already know what you're doing and to do like that CEO to be like, just do this. And I said, but what you have to do is take the time, ask the question, let the person kind of come to their own conclusion. You kind of use the Socratic method. And she's like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm like, well, that's fine. You don't have to, but don't pretend like you care about culture then. And and you don't have to, it's your, it's up to you, but, but, you know, culture isn't ping pong tables and um, beer kegs, you know, it's, it's actually showing up with intention and attention and it takes time. Trust is a long game. It doesn't happen overnight and you have to be consistent and it's difficult. It's difficult. It, it's time consuming yes. and a lot of patience is necessary. But at yeah. the end of the day, if we are playing the long game, you're going to make a difference, um, right. both within the organization, but within that person's life, them prom- being promoted, them taking on more responsibility, them learn. He, there's such a big ripple effect within leadership. And I think right. we forget that it's a, it's a privilege to be a leader. And I think we have to realize that and then use like an Enneagram or a disc or one of my clients, um, we're using predictive index. So I talk about 
you have to understand your own predictive index before you can even modify to understand who that person is in front of you that then you can flex so that they understand what you're saying to them through right. the sales process, right? So there, these communication models, I think, are a really good first step. And then making it part of like you have, everybody knows everybody's Enneagram and and. and I can never say that word, Christy, uh, the <laughs> anagram, but anagram, they, yeah. um, they know how and why if you're stressed out or you have your kids home sick, I know why you're responding abruptly because you're, you're not thinking before you speak because you're worried about the kid, right? There's, right. we're human. And we, I think we forget that often as well. We're out of time, but one last question for you. What would you share? Give, I'd like to give an action step at the end, but what would you share with others who are just trying to build and, and not only just a business, but if they're within an organization, right? Because I have a lot of corporate people, um, them as a leader, how can they make a difference for their themselves, their people, and the organization as a whole? You know, there's there's so many things um, there, and one of the things that that I had talked to you a little bit before, I do have something that I'm I'm happy to share, and I'll um, I'll give you a link. Yeah. Uh, yes. for your, um, Why don't you share that? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we use as a tool, there's a, many of them, but this one we found this has really been a game changer. It's a it's a document called the Best of Us. And uh, we tweaked it a little bit. It's actually available, I think, out on the internet somewhere, but we customized it and I'm happy to share that. And it's basically four quadrants. And in the upper left, it says um, what uh, when you get the best of me when upper right says you get the worst of me when mm-hmm. lower left says you can count on me too. And the lower right says what I need from you is. Mm-hmm. And we do this quarterly um, and the the manager does it with an employee and it's the employee's opportunity to speak and the manager's opportunity to listen. I always mm-hmm. say two ears, one mouth. This is the only thing you need to do is ask thoughtful, clarifying questions. And then I also say that the biggest, the most important quadrant there is the what I need from you is because if you invite that, first of all, you are demonstrating vulnerability because they might say, I, you know, someone could say to me, I need you to stop talking over me or whatever mm-hmm. that happens to be. And sometimes you might hear things you don't want to hear, but you need to be open to that, number one. And number two, I always tell them you need to, the best of your ability, do what they are asking you to do. Now, if it's mm-hmm. unreasonable, that's a different situation. But but if it's someone is being vulnerable with you and saying, I really need you to um I don't know, um, be more present when we have our meetings or something, you know, you really need to do that because if you don't do that, you've asked them something that they need, they've told you, and if you ignore it, you've just blown the trust. And that is so hard to rebuild and you can lose it like that, you know? So um, that's a, that's a really important, but relatively um, simple kind of tool that we use in our organization. And you don't have to be a business owner to do it. If you have anyone, you know, reporting to you, heck, you can even use it with your family. Yeah. You know? um, it's, it's, it's simple conversation that frequently we don't have. And so this elicits that conversation. So it's a, it's a really helpful tool. And I'm happy to share that with you guys. Yeah, I, I'd love that. And yes, I will put that in the show notes for sure. Here's the thing, Christy, though, that blows my mind. Uh, it's, Four simple questions. The last one is the most important though, right? What do you need from me? Right. Or what do you, what do you need me to do? Um, you have to feel comfortable to be honest to tell me what you need from me. Right. You have to create this very safe container that people can share. Yep. What they're, they're thinking. And it's so funny, as you were saying that I, the, one of my clients at the end, the last class we did, I said to them, okay, and I really want feedback. I said, you've been through, like had been through three or four programs with me. So I said, now just talk to me and what could I have 
done better. And, and I said, so give me one thing you really liked that is sticking with you that I, that I worked on with you, right? That's important to me, but give me a list. If you have one, what could I have done better? And all of them were very, Oh, I learned this. They're very excited to share the positive. And then they, and I'd say, okay. And now, and they, and you'd see, them, I'd say, it's all good. It's positive feedback that you're giving me. If I can do something to be better for the next person I teach or the next company I help, you're making me better. Why would you not share that with me? And they gave me some amazing feedback. And I was like, that's brilliant. I never thought of that. Oh my gosh. Especially with the different five generations now in the workplace, Christy, right? right? People see things differently. At the end, they were like, we can't believe you did that. I said, well, how do you think I get better? Would I live in a bubble here? I'm not perfect. Right. And they said, but that you really listened and you made us feel heard, but also respected that I liked their ideas. And then I obviously implemented them. So the execution of, of being present and allowing people to share with you honest feedback um, is critical, especially when they're they're not doing it to be mean. They're doing it to be helpful. Why would you why would you push them and say, no, no, I don't want to hear that. I want yes people around me, right? Well, especially if they give you the feedback, the way that you build the trust is, as to your point, creating the safe space for them to do that. And then even more importantly, is moderating your behavior accordingly. You know, if you just like hear it and say, thank you for sharing and then keep doing it, then, you know, it's like, well, why did I even bother? You know? Well, that's not creating a safe container, is it? That I'm never going to give you feedback again. No, it's all good. I don't need anything from you. Let's end this meeting. Right. So we can fast forward. Um, tragic humans. We're interesting people. Hmm. Aren't we? Very complicated brains here, right? Yes. Yeah. So everyone, a little bit more info. So if Christy, you're sitting here saying, holy smokeroonies, this is the girl for me, or this is the woman for me. Uh, my organization needs her, whatever it might be. Her email, if you have a question specifically, it's Christy at writergirl.com. Website is writergirl.com. And again, that free link for that four quadrant, those four questions, um, we'll put that URL as a, a gift to you as well. If, if it resonates with you, um, use it, man. It's a, it's a great, it's simple, simple works. We make things too complicated, I think sometimes too, Christy. Mm-hmm. So I love the simplicity of it, but the effectiveness of, of it, if we actually use it and implement. So Thank you so much for sharing that with my peeps. Happy to. Thank you so much for being on. The time goes fast. There's you know more questions I'd love to ask, uh, but that's it for today, kids. So thank <laughs> you again, Christy, though, for, you know, you're busy and I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your zone of genius with my, my folks. Well, thank you for having me, Connie. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, real pleasure. Um, and I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover no matter where you are within change in your life or your career or your business. My guests and I, I truly hope that we inspire you to make some kind of change or implement some kind of change. Christy gave you a beautiful tool um, that we'll put in the show notes. You have two choices. Information's a beautiful thing. And you think, oh, that was a very interesting conversation I just listened to. Or you could take that worksheet or the ideas and tips that Christy or I shared and implement Implement them in your real life. With the implementation, action creates reaction, which creates magic on the back end. It's up to you. So again, reach out to Christy, download the worksheet. Um, I truly hope it helps you on your journey of whatever that enlightenment of change uh, in your in your change process. Uh, Christy, thank you so much again for just being an amazing guest. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to Enlightenment of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman on webtalkradio.com. I truly wish you an inspired week. Please, please take one of the steps, download the worksheet, whatever it is for you. Be inspired to take action. I love you all. I will see you next week. 
Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again, Christy, for being a great guest. See you guys.